listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, today is going to be an exceptionally rare Rattle and Pedal episode. You're not going to talk? Uh, yeah. Well, no, that, that, that's never going to happen, right? <laughs> but there are two things about, well, there's the three, many things about this episode that are rare. One is that I brought these guests to the table. I want to make that known because this is going to be a great episode. I want everyone to know that I contributed to the guest profile today, which Very doesn't good. happen that often. Very good. I like number one. Number one. Number two, we actually have two guests today for the first time. We've never done that before, which we're both a little bit nervous and a little bit excited about. That's because you always try to talk so much. You're going to be talking over our poor guests. I know. I'm not going to get let them talk at all. That's my Okay. And the third is actually the topic, and that's what I'm excited about. So the topic today, we are going to talk about, well, basically, we're going to learn from a company that blew up the entire sales and marketing function. That's the way I like to describe it. I don't know if that's really true. That's sacrilege, isn't it? Yes. That's why I'm excited about it. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So we're going to talk about the unified commercial engine. On the line with us today, we have Jeff Lowe and Jenna Pipchuk from Smart, which is an ed tech company headquartered in Calgary. They invented the category that you're probably familiar with if you have kids of smart boards. And they are a global company, and they're going to tell us their story about how they basically took sales and marketing, dismantled it, and rebuilt it as the unified commercial engine. So, Jeff. Low. I mean, this is going to be a little confusing. We've got two Jeffs. Why don't you introduce us to the company and just kind of give us some background, and then we're going to dive right into this topic. And I'm going to do my best not to talk so that we can hear from you, which is what everybody wants to hear. Excellent. Thank you, Jason and Jeff. This is Jeff Lowe, and thanks for having us on on the podcast today. And we are from Smart Technologies, headquartered in Calgary, Canada. We 35 years ago or so invented touch technology and the the smart board that most people will be aware of. It's in schools. 35 years later, we're, we're in 3 million classrooms around the world. We also have distance learning and remote learning software, which obviously has come in very handy over the, the past couple of years. And we have collaboration solutions in the business space as well. So we're around 500 plus very passionate employees all over the world. It's a really exciting place to work. And we're, and we're a, a great purpose-based culture based out of Calgary, Canada. Awesome. We're so glad to be here. I, I think you said it right. We're going to talk about how we blew it up and then how we had to paddle through and make something new. So we'll, we'll talk a lot about paddling today. <laughs> well, maybe that's where my paddle came from. I, was like, I don't know where that came from. That was weird. All right. So where do we even start with this? So you blew this up. And like I said, I, I read about you in, the, in an HBR article that Brett Adamson and Gartner wrote. And I mean, I, I kid you not, I don't do this often. I read the article and I was like, I have to get these people on the podcast. So I would go to LinkedIn and Jenna, I just, I just out of the blue, I'm like, Hey, will you come on our podcast? And it was within 30 seconds of doing that. And within 24 hours, you got back to me and, and you said, yes. So just super excited to have you here. So what do we mean by you blew it up? And why did we blow it up? And what, and what does that even mean? I mean, I'm being a little extreme perhaps. So talk us through that. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes we start presentations with, you know, I'm, I'm Jenna Pipchuk. I'm the former chief sales officer and, and now a, a head of the unified commercial engine. You know, we, we kind of even, because we think that way, we think that we've left sales and marketing and we think completely in the entire commercial process and our teams run across that. And so when we say we blew it up, what we really mean is we changed the paradigm from a traditional sales and marketing and completely rerouted around what is 
the customer? How do they want to interact with us? What are all those touch points? And how do we completely make an org that's centered around what the customer needs and where the customer is in their journey? It was back in late 2019 when we, when Jen and I got together and uh, and said, let's let's go do something about this. Because we, we actually had been talking about it for several months, if not over a year. The, the topic of sales marketing alignment and what's the difference anymore between sales and marketing from a customer perspective, every, everything's gone digital. This is actually a fairly well-known topic. It, it, it certainly was to us. If you're a student of the industry of sales and marketing and throw customer service in there as well, you're familiar, I think, with this narrative. The gardeners and foresters of the world have been talking about this for a long time, saying it needs to be blown up. And so I think what made us finally pull the trigger, Jenna, on that fateful day in November 2019 was <laughs> a couple things, right? Like we were we were seeing the silos in our own business and the redundancy of effort. And we realized, especially with the rise of digital, that we just we need more customer touch points. The model that we have is insufficient to have enough customer touch points with our buyer groups. We sat down. We didn't know exactly what we meant when we said, let's do it. But we, we, we made a decision <laughs> one day and we said, let's blow it up. Yeah, we we literally kind of walked into it blindfolded. You know, we kind of looked each other in the eye, shook each other's hands and said, we don't know where we're going to end up. We don't know what it'll mean for either of us, but let's go on this journey. Let's really think about customer first. What would an org look like? So I'm curious real fast. What what happens when you walk into the CEO's office and say this, that you're going to blow up the sales and marketing function? Does he look at you like you are losing your minds? Well, he kept a f- smile on his face. <laughs> yeah. we, we learned after that he didn't actually believe it in what we were doing. We learned after. But, but I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I didn't get that sense in the beginning. I, I think I got a sense that said, you guys know your business. I trust you to figure this out. Go ahead. And then after he did reveal that, hey, I wasn't aligned at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good because we were blowing up alignment in the first place, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Jeff, you said you wanted more touch points. Say a little more about that and what you were hoping to gain from having more touch points. Well, we have, a, you know, like most companies, a sales force and a, and a sales channel that we talk to customers through and then a marketing team that arms them with materials and does campaigns. The challenge is with the increase in the rise in digital and, and customers being able to do almost literally everything. If you look at buyer roles, by themselves is do we have enough in the digital engine of meeting customers where they are? And do we have enough scale in our model in terms of functions like ISRs and SDRs and DGMs and CSMs and all these acronyms, right, are relatively new in the sales and marketing world, five, 10 years old. That says, so some of it is we need more digital and some of it is we, we need more organizations that scale in terms of inside sales, inside demand gen, inside customer support. We didn't have any of those functions. No, we had a, a very generalist sales team at the time. They were, they were kind of, they knew their region and they knew their target number, but we were not specialized in the sales. And when we started to look at how are we going to be more digital and how are we going to weave that into our existing org, there was just no natural place for it to land. So one of the, the things in the HBR article that I, I loved about your approach is that you thought about this in terms of buying jobs. And in my understanding is that's how you began to organize. Can you tell us a little bit about how you landed on that and what that looks like? That was a real turning point. As I I said, Jenna and I weren't exactly sure what we were going to do. We just just committed 
to quote unquote blow it up. We got a small team of leaders around us that to to go on the journey with us. And then we looked at some people that could help us with our thought process. But we struggled, frankly. We didn't see at the start what, what exactly are we going to do. It wasn't until we saw something that's actually quite simple, which is a buyer journey map, which I think most companies have, right? They're they're all pretty similar. That says, well, what is our buyer journey? Show me a map, show me a visual of what the buyer roles are. And that was kind of an epiphany moment to say, well, what if we just organized around this? So yeah. the the first thing the customer does, right, is in, in our buyer journey, in the framework we were looking at is they figure out that they have a problem that needs solving. That doesn't involve any vendor or partner, okay? The first step in the journey that involves us or a quote-unquote vendor is the role called learn. So I'm going to learn who can help me solve my problem. So literally, what if we had an organization or a department within SMART that was called learn? And their job is to help customers learn. And you go through the other steps in the buyer journey and repeat. And so it's a it's a very, very simple topic is you identify the roles in the journey and say, those are going to be departments yeah. within the company. And what we learned when we started to do that, right, Jeff, is that lots of people were doing similar jobs. So we found that different parts of our company were trying to help customers even doing the same types of tasks, not knowing that they were hitting the same customer, maybe with slightly different messages, but trying to do the same achievements from very different points of views, isolated from each other. It's a fascinating discussion and exercise. And you, for everybody listening, you don't have to blow up anything to do this and just really reflect on it, right? Is to look at a customer role and then look at your team and say, who does that? Taking the same example, who helps a customer learn who can solve their problems? We had, and we're, we're not a we're not a huge company, right? Five hundred plus employees. We had five different teams that were saying, "Well, I help the customer learn," and so that's inefficient, like that's redundant. Mm-hmm. And so what we said is, and it, again, it's a logical step, but it's not easy with with change management and with cultures. Is we're going to have a head of customer learn, and we're going to combine all of the resources that do that job into one team so we can have more synergies and more efficiencies. I love that concept. The reason I love it is what you just said. It's the synergies. And it's the different perspectives, Jenna, that you mentioned, because they're coming at the learning from different perspectives early in the process, late in the process. But there's so much later in the process that could add value early in the process, I would think. I yeah. just love that. Yeah, love 100%. That I mean, one of the things that we're so passionate about is that we're seeing all of this collaborative synergy and the positive nature it's having just on our teams alone, but the customers, you know, the consistency of our message. When I think back to kind of before this, how much time we spent trying to align the message. And, and you know, to be frank, we, we were not good at it. Our customer was hearing different things from us and we were bunching up contacts and then they were hearing nothing. And then they'd hear too many things from us with too many different information pieces in it and then nothing again, or sometimes it would be missed completely. We just weren't thinking of us as an org, as an entire org and the customer's interaction with that org. If you flip it around and just start to follow how that customer's interacting with you as an org, If you're not talking in the same voice, if you're not talking about the same things, if you're not giving them the right information at the right things, they have lots of other choices out there. Did I undersell this when I opened this? I said (laughs) you blew up sales, marketing, and customer delivery. I might have thrown customer delivery in there. Did you blow up the whole organization? We blew up half. 
Exactly, exactly <laughs> half of our entire company was involved in this. Uh, only half. I guess you're under. <laughs> okay. The great news is, is like who knows where they'll end up, but the rest of our org is trying to figure out how they can do some of what we've done, because we're seeing so many gains just intrinsically in culture and engagement and in in a lot of things. And so I don't know how they'll get there. We're focused in sales and marketing, but <laughs> but just so you know, our, our ops and RDI and and development teams are trying to figure out how they can do a UCE kind of adventure. That's super exciting and super cool. So I'm just curious now, do you literally have pockets of functional areas then mapped against that that buying journey now? Is that essentially how you did it? That's right. Yeah. If, if, you know, if you ask to see our org chart, we would show you the customer journey and there's five different roles. So we talked about learn. So it goes learn, buy, install, adopt, support. So those are five different teams with different leadership, and that's it's actually an org chart. And then what we found is, you know, there are there are roles, and there are people that says we always use the term when I wake up every day. So when I wake up every day, I don't I don't actually do one specific role. I don't help the customer with one specific thing. I help with all of them. So for example, digital and customer experience. So that's that's an enabling group for all five roles. So that's that's one of three enabling units. We also have another one, which is customer insight and messaging that goes across all the roles. And then the third one, which is super interesting, is operations and data and systems. So again, we like we blew up marketing ops, sales ops, service ops, yeah. MarTech stack, all, all the work that's been, been put into that is like, that's not customer centric either. So what, what's customer centric is customer ops, putting all of your, your data and systems together. So anyways, that's our org chart. If you, if you think of a visual in your mind of five customer roles and then three enabling functions. So we have eight new teams that we stood up with eight leaders and that becomes our UCE leadership team. Hmm. And it's a new cadence of a new management team and a new way of meeting and a new way of talking to each other. A hundred percent. And, and th- those names that he brought out, we're doing one of our, our kickoffs uh, next week and our streams are, you know, adopt, buy, learn, you know, th- that is how we talk. The leaders for these eight areas that you stood up, where did they come from? Were they logical, intuitive choices or how did you choose how or who would lead each of those areas? So we didn't build any of this with people in mind. We went straight to what we call a circle and squares exercise. We built the org with no people in mind, including even Jeff and myself. So we built what is needed. We built out those roles, those job descriptions, the skill sets needed, everything without any person in mind. And then we took the 300 people in our orgs and we looked at you know, their skill sets, their aptitudes, their interests, their experience. And we started mapping circles to squares. And so when we built the org, we didn't know who our leaders would be, even though we knew we had tons of capable leaders in our orgs. And some did shift, some were more natural that you would expect. And anyway, we went through in all 300, we said, you know, what is the right role based on this person's experience, skill set and interest? Can they learn some of the skills that maybe they didn't have? Are they, you know, is that where they want to go in their career path? And we ended up with a section of, of really great, amazing people whose skill set didn't match our future. That was a small segment of those that just didn't fit into one of our new squares. And and then we had to bring in an, a slightly larger amount of brand new skill sets that we didn't have. And, and so that is how those leaders were selected. Some of them were surprises. You know, you have to remember everybody in the 300 had a new job, had a new manager, had new processes. And, and even if they tried to do things the way they used to do, those teams didn't exist to go back to, to engage with. 
burnt the ships. I imagine in this window, when you're figuring this out, there's a lot of maybe fear and stress in the organization about what's going on. How did you communicate what you were exploring and figuring out? Or was it sort of behind the scenes? Like, you know, it's like if, if someone knew that you were going through this, I would sense there'd be a lot of fear inside the sales teams and marketing teams and everybody like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Am I going to lose my job? Like, so how did, how did you navigate it was an interesting time. I mean, you have to remember also, we, we ended up planning to release this in April of 2020. And we all know what happened in March, right? So we did actually pause. Do we move forward with this change? And we said, hey, everything's kind of crazy in the world. Is it really fair to our teams to do this amount of change upon change? We call that change upon change. And we asked the team and, and they, they did press us to move forward. They said, no, we're going to do it. And in hindsight, because we had planned so much of what we were trying to do, because we had prepared them with, hey, we have to change to stay with the market. You know, Our customers deserve this. Because we had spent so much time figuring out what we wanted the org to do and look like, what they said in hindsight was when the world was crazy, this was something they hung on to. And, and it helped yeah. us actually move forward because we knew what we were trying to achieve. It became even you know, a stronger foothold to move towards that change because the world was crazy. So, so they're like, we're, we're building something new. We know exactly what we're trying to build. We know why we're trying to build it. And, and can we do it? It doesn't mean that we didn't have a long period of change management. Of course we did. It was about three mm. months of refiguring out how we talk to people, refiguring out you know, where things move. We learned that we probably didn't do enough skills on indirect management because what we've moved to is quite a matrixed organization. I remember for the first six months or so, one of our favorite sayings, I don't know if it was our favorite, but one of our most used sayings was, guys, we're really doing this. <laughs> because it was all paper, it was communicated, there was, there was the meetings, there was the emails, and then... When you start getting into implementation, it's like, well, wait, we're not doing it the old way anymore. It's like, oh, no, we're really doing this. So, for example, think of a regular monthly or not even regular, but a monthly strategy meeting. What does that look like? So for, for a company, and I think most companies are pretty, pretty similar in this, right, is let's have a monthly business review. So what we used to do was it would be largely a sales meeting. Here's our results from our regions. And here's, here's how we're doing. Here's our revenue. Here's our profitability. Here's our forecast. Sometimes maybe there's a guest spot for, hey, let's hear what the latest is from marketing or finance or customer support. That's your staff meeting. Now in this model, no, no, the staff meeting is going to be a review of how we're helping the customer learn, buy, install, adopt, and support. Another thing Jenna and I challenge the team to do is, so we have eight leaders. We challenge them to come up with one metric per area. And we call them Uber metrics because what we found is we're a tech company, right? Every team has a 35 page PowerPoint with their metrics. <laughs> and we're like, right, but we'd like one, <laughs> right? So can, can each, each of you come back with, if your job is to help the customer learn, what is the one best way we're going to measure if we're helping the customer learn? Buy, support, adopt, install, and the underlying areas. So that was also a challenge, but that's actually, you know, two years later, that's what our monthly strategy meetings are is a review of these Uber metrics across our different geographical areas. And it's just so much consistency and understanding of what those meetings are. And it's all from a customer lens. 
You have to remember, uh, just picture Jeff Lowe's jaw when a channel management, a senior channel management person stood up at our monthly business review meeting and started talking about the brand index in his region. Or, you know, there are a few um, monthly strategy reviews where Jeff was just in awe. You know, if, if you take nothing from what we've done here, it's it's that I have a fundamental belief that helping people understand the entire commercial process makes everybody's job inside it better. I've had sales leaders come up and talk to me after the fact and go, you know, Jeff, I got to come clean. Before, when you used to do a marketing presentation or when, or when I used to hear like a presentation from the support or customer experience organization, and, and you're talking about things like brand equity, share of voice, you know, likelihood to recommend. Honestly, it's just kind of like, Charlie Brown's teacher. It's it's just that wah, wah, wah. It's, I don't really understand or need to know that stuff. Whereas now, these are the Uber metrics of our business, the eight customer-centric Uber metrics, and everybody knows them. And so Jenna's right. I shed a tear when I hear people with, from a sales background stand up and talk about how their the health of their brand and their digital share of voice has increased within their part of the world. And again, that doesn't happen overnight, though. That's multiple months before we started seeing the comfort of that taking place. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, Principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. Can you talk about, you said, they're part of the world. I want you to talk about that for a sec. Because in our pre-call, we, we chit-chatted and you, and you talked a little bit about how you built this around geographies. So I'd like to hear kind of how the geographies lay on top of the eight things or underneath, mayhaps, perhaps. Yeah, for sure. We, we built it on geographies mostly. You can also build it around segments and we have a couple of instances of those. So for, for companies, and, I, and I've talked to other sales leaders and some of them even want to do it by the account size, you know, because it is a different motion if you're at a, a very large account versus a more transactional account selling. So you could do it on any of those. We do it mostly on geography. So that means we take a segment, say maybe Northeast USA, and that's their everyday team. Their everyday team is pod Northeast USA. And that means we have people who are doing brand health, people who are doing demand gen, people are doing inside sales, inside account management, field sales, channel, both inside and out, the customer success team, the order input team has a person specific for that region. The ops integration would have a specific one for that area that has the metrics for that specific region. So I can look at that pod and I can see all of their Uber metrics on a daily basis. I can see how they're performing to all of the targets that were set for that specific geography. And, and that team, so their everyday team is indirect. You know, the Northeast pod knows exactly who to talk to. And and then they coordinate, they coordinate their digital campaigns with maybe what they're doing, some of their two channel campaigns or indirect channel with what they're maybe even demoing to customers. So they have a, a full insight into the customer base and all of the customer touch points for that specific area. I think these, uh, we call them commercial pods, primarily regions of the world. So we have the UCE and then within the UCE strategy, the way we execute is through commercial pods. I actually think it's been the biggest and most important part of the success is setting up these commercial pods. So think of, a, like Jenna said, 
you've got all the representation from around the customer journey within a team that's matrixed together. What it really does is change the definition of team, right? So who's on my team? Well, in, again, in the past, well, I'm on the sales team, I'm on the marketing team, I'm on the customer service team, and I report up in, and I work with other sales, marketing and service people. And I'm, I stay in my lane and I do my thing and not really sure what those other guys over there are doing, but I, I sure know what I'm doing on, on my team. In a UCE, is I'm in the Southeast United States pod. My accountability is to help the customer adopt, but my team members have the accountabilities around the whole journey. And that's actually who I meet with on a regular basis. My reporting might still be into functional with other people that help the customer adopt, but I actually spend as much or more time with my pod members. That's transformational as people really get a sense of all the steps that a customer goes through and what, what are my accountabilities to my new team members within a commercial pod, not just how can I be the best marketer I can be or the best customer success person I can be. And I think this one that we didn't plan for, that is one of the best things about it is this has really led to our high engagement because what we built maybe a little bit unknowing here is that we gave people purpose. If you imagine now you're the, pick one of them, I'll stick to the adopt. You're the customer success person. You see exactly the impact to the overall customer from your role. You see from how they came in, what they were doing, what your so your purpose is so clear and so tangible that the engagement score, you know, we, I say these teams feel like they're humming the energy within them because they see their purpose very clearly. They can see the results of the impact of their slice of the whole run, that these teams just, the energy is just palpable. There's yeah, the two things come to mind that I want to just comment on. One, Jenna, I never worked at a big sales organization before. You know, I have this picture of, of a very competitive environment, right? Well, who's the who's the winner here? Who's the best in this? And it feels like you flipped off that and you turned on this super collaborative environment where they're working together in the customer's journey. And it just it's such a wonderful thing. And my second thing is I was laughing because you, you probably saw me laughing and shaking my head. I think the matrix organization is the stupidest thing in the history of the planet until right now. This is the first time I've ever heard of matrix organization. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that actually makes total sense. And it would be awesome to be in it. But most of the time, I'm like, that's so stupid. You're just, just you're confusing people. They don't know who they report to. They don't know what's going on. But in this instance, you've actually made the matrix organization something valuable. So I'm just flabbergasted by the whole thing. It has been great from a, like Jenna said, an engagement perspective, a culture perspective, people's growth and development, it changes their perspective on what could I do next in my career because they're given exposure and real exposure and depth to what are some of the other roles within a commercial organization. We, like most companies, we, we chart our engagement scores on an annual basis. And before we implemented the UCE, it was actually, we had a pretty good engagement score Across these teams, it was in the low 80s, 81, 82. But in, in the most recent one we did, it's 90. So we, we've, we've gone up to a 90 engagement score, which is a global best in class for a culture and engagement score. And uh, it's not solely due to the UCE, but I think in large part it is. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it, it and we're talking now two years in with a, with a lot of confidence that you know this is where we're at. We did go through a real transition of. Hey, those are my customers. What are you doing talking to my customers? Hey, this is my area, right? And I, I think I think even Brent Adamson in one of our conversations said you have to understand when you change the role this drastically, 
you're changing who they identify as. And so we had to help the sales team understand that that this bigger group was all in support of the same motion. And it took us a while to help them redefine themselves in this new kind of area. So if I think back, we did go through a lot of transition. I specifically remember, hey, those are my customers. You know, a lot of, yeah. hey, that's my customer. What are you, you're going to let them talk to my customers? No, no. Like you had to get through all of that. I never hear anything like that anymore. So it's even hard to remember back to that because now they just talk about, it's actually quite seamless for them. And what I've noticed now is that when we bring new people in, we have to spend more time with new people because how they collaborate and work through things. It's like, imagine that being a sales person who's like, I'm trying to engage this whatever, I'll, I'll say school district, because that's really common for us, this customer. And and they know now that they can go to their, what would have been former marketing, but they're, they're learned people and say, hey, what do we know about these people that haven't bought from us before? You know, have they been engaging with us? Can we do a quick digital campaign in this very close area to help me go in? Because I got a demo on Friday. You know, like they seamlessly do that kind of conversation. I can't imagine that of happening in our old org. So let's talk numbers here, if you're able. Feel free to say no. You threw the engagement one out there, which I love, but you also have some other Mm -hmm. pretty remarkable outcomes. So I think it's good to hear for people to hear, hey, this wasn't just a cool journey that changed, you know, the engagement of our workforce with the organization, which is a really great thing, but there's been meaningful commercial outcomes from the commercial engine. So let's share what you can and and what and whatever you want you got to keep protected then you can, or we can edit it out. Sure. No, I think I think we can we can share some things uh, for sure. I mean, uh, I'll do the marketing ones, Jeff, and you could do the sales ones maybe, but I mean, sure. um in, in 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 marketing alone just sheer number of leads, they've doubled those numbers every year that we've had the UCE doubled it year over year without an increase of, of, of budget specifically to do that. So that, that's just efficiencies and gains from, from the, the structure yeah. itself. I do remember when we first implemented the UCE, we started implementing targets to some of the learn areas, right? So it wasn't just that you have money to go out and do campaigns and marketing and get leads. You actually now have specific numbers that have to be achieved per month, per quarter, per pod. And and I remember a bit of, you know, just people going, ugh, you're, you're making marketing people have sales targets. You know, what are you doing? You know, I remember that kind of like perception. And, and now it's not even a question. Now it's like, well, yeah, that's my target. I mean, we got to blow that out of the water and they do it every single time. I think the metric I might be even more proud of is sales accepts. Mm, yeah, for sure. So sales accepted leads because in a siloed organization before we had our sales accept leads in the 50% range, 56%. And that's, that's because of silos, right? And that's because of lack of knowledge, lack of trust. I don't even know these leads are generated or I'm assuming they're garbage. I'm not involved in them. I don't know what they are, right? So then in the environment of a UCE where we're actually setting joint targets and we're talking on a regular basis about what are we doing to generate those leads, now we're up into the 80s and 90s of sales accepted leads. Yeah. So Jen is right, like we've doubled our volume and then we've also increased by 160% or so our, our sales accept percentage. And again, it's so heartwarming to hear this. These numbers are, are presented by the pods with great accuracy and knowledge of what those are and what those mean. It's actually fairly seldom when the the quote unquote marketing people actually talk about that because it's usually a pod leader who has more of a sales or a channel background. Yeah. And the, the fundamental understanding of all of these leads and touch points are essential for me to make my number 
I don't think that we would have had that mindset before. They actually know that if we're lagging on our learn targets, which actually we never have been, but they, they watch them because if they're lagging there, they know that they're actually not going to hit their revenue numbers. Yeah. They and then leading indicators. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. the sales, I don't know, Jeff, if you want to go in or, or I can share, but the, the sales year over year, just pure numbers have been pretty outstanding. Yeah. Incredible. Now let's do this before we lose you. Cause we're about out of time. Let's talk about how your roles have changed because, you know, your mutual roles are very different than they were 24 Mm -hmm. months ago. So let's hear that, what it's meant to you. It's changed them quite significantly. We do view each other as being interchangeable, although we have our our depth of expertise from our backgrounds, right? Being sales and marketing, but we are joint UCE leaders and we do chair calls and be interchangeable on UCE related calls. So the sales side or the former sales side, I guess, of the business would think nothing at all of showing up on a call and having me lead it as the same thing with the the marketing team or the customer success team, the uh, CX team, having Jenna chair a call. The team has become very comfortable, I think, with this joint sharing and joint accountability around the UCE. So I, you know, my perspective, Jenna, I'm interested in yours, but I, I think we both have our, in our background, right, really a lot of depth behind marketing and sales, but it's broadened the outlook, you know, for us where we're spending much, much more of our time on just in general, how are we doing as a, as a UCE? Yeah. I feel like we have backup, you know, like we, we, when Jeff says we're interchangeable in, in many, many things we are. And, and what that allows us to do is just to do more customer centric things. You know, I can share more of the trips to see customers. You know, Jeff does a lot of those now. So we're, we're able to, again, get more touch points, more interactions from a C level. And we have backup when either of us are traveling to continue to, to move things forward on the, the key meetings back at headquarters. So I, I think, again, the same way we've seen it, it broaden in our team. It's broadened in our role. And we do have a, a real saying that says, embrace the gray. And, you know, what we, what we haven't talked about with you guys yet is that, you know, one of the, the reasons we did this is we did have a problem with silos. We did have a problem where, as with every traditional kind of place, you, your job description is from point A to point B, and then you hand it off to somebody and they do point B to point C. And what we were getting is we were getting people really proud of their leg of the race with no accountability or even curiosity on did we win? You know, they're like, that was the best leg. That was the best document I've ever produced. Aren't I great? And it would fail at so many points. And we were failing and losing run rate as a company. And so now we, we say, no, no, you don't get A to B. You're responsible for A to C. And we draw a diagonal line <laughs> between A and C. And we say, okay, you might be more responsible for the work we created at A, but you don't get to give up responsibility at B. You own it all the way to C. And even if your level of responsibility at C is much smaller, you have to see the whole thing through. And and what that means is, yeah, a lot more talking, a lot more collaborating, a lot more, oh, is this my job or her job? You have to navigate that. Uh, But in that embracing the gray, embracing the not really clear definition, what we have is, again, they found that they have more purpose because they see the benefits of what their work is contributing to. I think a great recent example of how our jobs have changed is... You know, we just, our fiscal year just started in April. So we've, we're just at the start of our year. So we've been doing a lot of, of planning. Yeah. So I've never been so involved in planning of how much should we budget for things like demo pool and sales team travel, customer travel. Never would that be my remit as a marketing yeah. executive. As a UCE executive, that's absolutely pertinent to my role, right? Because it's what's our UCE budget. 
So it's, it's just it just changes and broadens the scope to, yeah, absolutely. Now let's have a very detailed and precise discussion on, because we can spend money on demo pool and sales travel, or we can do more digital or, or SEO campaigning. And let's decide that together. Mm-hmm. In, in the past, that was more of a black hole. Oh, I have no idea. Did you see how big that budget is? What the heck could be in that number? That's huge. We've taken all that away and it's totally transparent for all of our leaders, all of our UCD leaders. We did 100% joint planning this fiscal year, and there was lots of apprehension even from the teams that are really working well together that, you know, oh, well, if we joint plan, are they going to try and put money somewhere else? And what everyone was very pleased at the result of our, our end of our planning is that we were really aligned. There, there was a lot of swish in, hey, no, digital campaigns. I think traditional marketing people thought, oh, well, the salespeople are going to try and pull money to do traditional sales things. That's not what actually happened. What happened is there was a huge switch to like, no, these digital things are super important. And again, it just, it solidified kind of where they were at because in our joint planning session, they realized that people were thinking about the whole picture. Yeah, it seems like the power of the Uber metrics, right? And the fact that they own those Uber metrics in their pods throughout the year and they see them mm-hmm. all the time. They talk about them as a group. Yeah. And so when it comes time to plan, they, they see where the holes are. They see where the opportunities are, just like you do. Um, that's right. That's super exciting and super empowering. So I just can't thank you enough for joining us today. I have found this to be so interesting and so exciting. I have one last question, Jeff. I don't know if you have one. I'm sure you have, have, have one as well. Maybe just reflecting on this journey, what did you learn? Or if someone was trying to follow your lead, where would you suggest they start? Either question. For me, I'd go back to what uh, we're, kind of we started the conversation is looking at the buyer journey or the buyer roles, as Jeff said, and just you know facilitate a meeting, get the team together and say, how do we do this? Who in our organization is responsible for helping the customer with this role? And I think that will be incredibly enlightening in terms of how customer centric are we? Because whether you take the steps and do a big reorg or anything else, I think every organization can learn from that very simple question. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I have the same similar advice to people who, you know, I think when Jeff and I talk about this, we get a lot of, well, that's great for you. We could never do that kind of amount of change in our org. And I don't think you have to do this amount of change to get some benefits. I think what I've learned through this in retrospect is expanding the understanding of the full commercial process will improve your organization. Just helping people understand what all the roles do with a customer-centric view. If you flip it to how does the customer interact with our company in all those stages, you can improve even in, in all the different pieces along the way. And the reality is our customers are moving more digital. Sales is changing anyway. So you have to embrace this. If you want to be a part of where sales is going, you have to embrace understanding more than just the traditional sales role. I'd be curious to know what are the big three characteristics of a company that has the capacity to actually make this work? They have to have good change management practices because it, it is it is that. Mm-hmm. They have to be collaborative. And I think they have to be willing to be in an outside-in company. They have to fundamentally believe that the customer at the center is the right thing. Yeah, and they, and they have to, we're going more than three, but they have to be not just embrace, but actually welcome and push for change. I'm going to add one on for you both. And I would say selfless leadership, because that's what I see in it. In both of you, an incredible mm-hmm. amount of selflessness in how you approached your roles, the organization and what needed to be done. Even to the point where you said, Hey, we may design ourselves out of this organization and that's okay. And that's remarkable. So thank you for joining us. This was enlightening, exciting, 
probably already said all these things, but just a real pleasure to have you on today. Our absolute pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. We've really enjoyed the time with you. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.